So we've been going through the Gospel of John. So we're going to get into John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn into John chapter 3. I'm sure we all know this chapter. If you don't, shame on you. I'm just kidding. But it's a great chapter because why? Because of, uh, of the, the, the subject of our salvation that Jesus brings up here. Jesus here, he teaches us about the new birth. There is a new birth. There is a, a, a new creation that needs to happen in our lives for us to what we'll see in a bit. And, um, you know, this is perhaps, I mean, obviously the most important chapter in probably all of John's gospel. Why? Because of the subject it deals with, as I just mentioned, the subject of salvation. And we see that there, there's so many religious groups, reli- uh, denominations that, that actually confuse this subject. You know, just like the, the religious leader we're going to see here, Nicodemus, uh, many church members, they have no idea what it even means to be born again. Like Nicodemus here, he's, he's like, what do you mean be born again? And you, you see that Nicodemus, he was, this, he was a moral man. He was, he was a religious man. He was one of the, the, the chief teachers, the, the, the chief rulers of the synagogue, he, uh, of the Jewish people. And, and yet we see that he didn't understand the truth. He had so much knowledge of the law, so much knowledge of, God's, uh, of the Old Testament but he had no understanding of it. And this, this, this shows us his spiritual condition. The spiritual condition of a person is, is whether you understand the things of God or, or not. So much knowledge this man had, yet he lacked the greatest truth of salvation. The greatest truth that Christ gave here, he lacked the understanding. And we need to understand that that the, 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 the carnal mind of a sinful man is never going to a- understand, it's never going to grasp the spiritual truth of God. Uh, a carnal-minded person will not understand the things of God. And it says that in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 through 14, it says, But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a, person, a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given to us. When we tell you these things, we do not use our, our own words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak with words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truth. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. And, you know, being here today, and you guys being here today, how I thank God for the truth and the understanding he's given us. You know, so many people think they have the truth, think they know the truth, but yet they lack the understanding. They don't know what it means to be born again. And we, uh, we are here today with this spiritual truth. And if you're here today and you, you do lack this understanding, 
you, you do lack the this, this spiritual understanding of the subject, I'm, I'm so glad you're here, honestly. And I, and I pray that the Holy Spirit just be present with us right now to reveal greater truth, more truth, what we need in, in, in this day and age. Being a Christian today is not easy. It's not. There's so much rejection uh, of Christianity, so much... Um, opposition for uh, on Christians. So we need to know this, and then we need, all need to receive this understanding. We need, we need the truth of what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? A born-again Christian. A born-again Christian, because the only kind of Christian in, in God's eyes is a born-again Christian. The only true Christian is a born-again Christian. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this with confidence. Being religious, being a good moral person, it's not going to make you fit for the kingdom of heaven. Being a good person, your good works, it's not going to qualify you to enter into the kingdom of God. And so many have that mistaken. You must be born again. There has to be a new birth. You must be born of what? Of water and spirit. So... Um, I like what Charles Spurgeon said about this chapter. He said, if we were asked to lead, if we were asked to read to a dying man who did not know the gospel, we should probably select this chapter as the most suitable one for such an occasion. And what is good for dying men is good for us all, for that is what we are and how soon we may actually be at the gates of death. None of us can tell. You see, we are all born in sin. Our first birth, makes us children of Adam. Children of Adam, and therefore making us what? Children of wrath. Children of disobedience. Sin entered into the world through Adam, and we are born, our first birth is, 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 is children of Adam. Ephesians chapter 2. No amount of education, there is no amount of religion or discipline that will ever change or improve our first birth, the nature of our first birth. There's nothing that will change that. So we, what, what is it that we need? We need a new birth, a new creation in us. And that's what we're going to see here today. I'm going to break it down for you in three sections. So we're going to see first the necessity for the new birth, the nature of the new birth, and we're going to see the basis for the new birth. And let's begin uh, first looking at the necessity of the new birth. Why, why is this new birth necessary? Why do we need it? Why do we have to be born again? First, verse 1 through 3, notice it's necessary to what? To see the kingdom of God. It's necessary to experience the kingdom of God. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, <clears throat> There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So what do we know about Nicodemus? This is important because, as I mentioned earlier, that, that there's no amount of education, no amount of religion, discipline, or good works in our old sinful nature that could ever give us access into the kingdom of God. We see that Nicodemus here was a well-respected member of the Sanhedrin. Notice, 
a man of the Pharisees, meaning he was what? Religious? Meaning he was well-educated in the law. He was well-educated in the Old Testament. To receive the, the title of a Pharisee is a great honor. It means that your knowledge is incredible on, on the Old Testament. And notice he is a ruler of the Jews, meaning he was well-known. He was trusted. He was influential with all the people. Yet with, with, with all this religion, with all this knowledge, this influence he had, he, he, he lacked spiritual truth. He lacked understanding. Notice verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I want to point something out here. I, fi I find it interesting that Nicodemus came by night. He came by night. He came in darkness. And, I, I, you know, I, I believe this is a symbol. If you read Ephesians 4.18, it says what it says about darkness. It says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. That's what it speaks about darkness. So here John gives us a symbol of, of, of the unsaved man. The, the unsaved man who lacks understanding, who, who, who's, who's, um, who's ignorant to the things of God, who is blind in their hearts. Therefore, he, he's in the dark spiritually, but he's, he, he is spiritually blind to the things of God. And here we see Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus in darkness, not only physically, like physically in darkness, but spiritually as, a, as a, a sign of the unsaved man. And so notice Jesus' response to Nicodemus, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, here we go, unless one is born again, he cannot, notice, see the kingdom of God. The new birth is necessary to see the kingdom of God. And Jesus here went straight to the point. Plain and simple. He instantly here shattered. He shattered the Jewish, the, the, their racial, uh, the, the identity assumption of, of these people just because they were Jews, just because they were God's chosen people. They thought that their, their first birth as Jews guaranteed them a place in God's kingdom. That's their mindset here. And so here Christ is saying, it does not. Your new birth will not get you into the kingdom of God. And, and th th this makes me think personally of how many people today, in their religious ways, they think they have a place in God's kingdom. In their religious ways, through religion. And, and I tell you today, it's like, well, you might ask be asking right now, well, isn't Christianity a religion? Everybody talks about it being a religion. That's where the, the lack of understanding comes in. Christianity never, got, Christ never speaks of it, it as a religion. It's always, come to me, I will give you rest. Come closer to me, 
have a personal relationship with me. Christianity is a personal relationship with Christ, and that is where the new birth comes. And so many people are just led astray by, by false doctrine, false teaching, like Nicodemus. He had so much knowledge, and he was taught by the best teachers, but there was no understanding. There was no spiritual truth. You know, to think that you have a place in his kingdom and to just come to hear the Lord say, I don't know you. Depart from me. That I, take, I, ta- I take Matthew uh, chapter 7 very seriously. Depart from me. I don't know you. But Lord, I, I, I cast out demons in your name. Lord, I did miracles and wonders in your name. Oh, how many religious leaders, how many pastors today do miracles and wonders in Christ's name, right? How many say to know Christ but don't know him? Because they don't have the new birth. Jesus here is very clear and he is straightforward that the man's first birth does not assure him access into his kingdom. It is only by being born again a new birth that gives us this assurance. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus says, How can this be? Lord, what do you mean? And here, obviously, we see that Nicodemus confuses what the physical from the spiritual which, you know, he, he thought of the, in the terms of the, the physical birth while Christ was obviously talking about a spiritual birth, again, showing his spiritual condition. Because if you notice, when Jesus says born again, that word again that is used here, in the Greek, it's translated actually from above. That word again means from above, Therefore, it is rendered born from above. The, the definition of born again is born from above, and to be born from above is to be born again. That is what Christ was saying here. To belong to the heavenly kingdom, to belong to God's kingdom, you have to be born into it. You have to be born into it. Think, think about this. Think about it. If a nation, you know, passed a law that said no one could live there, no one could live in this nation unless they were born in this nation. If a nation passed that law and someone wanted to live there who was not born in that nation, it wouldn't matter, honestly, if they spoke the language it, it, it wouldn't matter if they met all the customs of, of those people. It wouldn't matter if they, they even practiced the religious traditions of that country. It wouldn't matter if their family was born in that country. It, it wouldn't matter if they had friends in that country, in that nation. Guess what? All that would matter was if they were actually born in that country, if they were born there. So this new birth, speaks of us being born into a kingdom. 
the kingdom of heaven. And so here Nicodemus, he failed to see this, and he failed to see the spiritual side of what Jesus was saying. Hey, you want to be part of my kingdom? You have to be born into it. You have to be born again. You have to be born from above. Born from above. So second, notice verse 5. This new birth is necessary now to enter the kingdom of God. We saw the new birth was necessary to see the kingdom of God, and now we see it necessary to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot enter. Notice Jesus Jesus was so emphatic about this subject. He was so persistent and so direct on this subject. And, and, And you see, mankind, we, we don't need a uh, reformation. We don't need, mankind does not need reformation. We need a spiritual, radical conversion by the Spirit of God. There has to be a whole new creation. We don't need reformation. Christ didn't come to improve or repair this old nature of yours, of ours. He he didn't come to fix it. Christ came to give you a new nature. A complete new birth. And you know what? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But I can experience it. We can experience this new this new um, uh, this new birth, this 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 whole new nature. There has to be, it has to be new. Because in our old, old nature, we'll never make it into the kingdom of God. So here, notice, we must be born of what? Water and the Spirit. That phrase, to be born of water. And this phrase has, has actually been a little tough to understand, to kind of pinpoint what Jesus was saying. And as I, as I began to dig into what Jesus was saying, um, I got a lot of different, from different commentators, um, you know, as I've read other commentators, I got uh, different explanations, and I'm just like all over the place, and it was a little confusing, but, but I found something interesting. You know, a lot of times, to make sense of something, it is the simplest thing to just keep reading. It is so simple. Just keep reading. And so I read, I probably read this chapter like, not even exaggerating, probably 30 times before I understood. And I'm like, what, what, what does this mean, Lord? All these commentators, I'm getting different things. Which one's right? Even though I'm, uh, we, we were taught against taking commentators and stuff like that and reading about them, but I'm, I'm, I'm just here when Jesus, no, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself. When Jesus said in verse 10, jump ahead really quick. Jesus said in verse 10 to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Think about that. Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? 
Notice, by Jesus saying this to him, shows that what he was saying about water and spirit, it, it should have been familiar to Nicodemus, right? So I'm telling you these things, Nicodemus, and you don't understand what I'm saying? It should be familiar to you. Since Nicodemus, he was a teacher, he was an expert of the Old Testament scripture and law. He was an expert, so there, there must be some kind of connection here to an Old Testament prophecy. Some have thought that born of water means to be baptized. But there is no real Old Testament prophecy or, or Testament foundation for this, and we know that water baptism is not required for salvation. Right? It is a free gift of God. You are saved by grace. It is not required. Some have thought that born of wa water means to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see in John chapter 7 that speaks about the living water. No, Christ is referencing the Old Testament. Are you the, the, the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? And you know, some have thought born of water refers to our physical birth since our, our, uh, that refers to our first birth, some, uh, uh, when we come out of our, the womb, it is a sack of water. The water breaks, right, when, when you go into labor. Some say that that's what he means here. And honestly, th this could very well be the meaning of this as, uh, because I, I've actually heard many trusted commentators speak about this, but... Jesus questioning Nicodemus on his Old Testament knowledge kept eating away at me. And, I, and so, you know, I, I, Jesus didn't question Nicodemus uh, on his knowledge on human anatomy, right? And, and yet, and he also speaks against the first birth. It has to be a new birth. And you see, it's always best to define Scripture with scripture when you want a definition on something define scripture with scripture and therefore i never really found scripture that interpreted the water birth as our first birth and so in my i pulled out my concordance and i and i began to search the words water and spirit i looked up the words water and spirit and I'd try to find an Old Testament prophecy that had both words in it. And I found one in Ezekiel. Notice Ezekiel chapter 36. This is a prophecy fulfilled. 25 through 27, God said to Israel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, and notice, put a new spirit in you. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, notice again, I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will keep my judgments. 
and do them. Do we keep his judgments today? I know I do a lot better than I did yesterday. <laughs> Why? Because the cleansing of the water and the new spirit he's given us, his spirit. Here we see both water and spirit in this prophecy, and Jesus said we must be born of water and spirit. And this to me, it makes the most sense on what Jesus here meant because of its firm connection to the Old Testament going off of what Jesus said to Nicodemus in verse 10. And, and, you know, I always desire to give you the best, the best of God's word. And, And maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but I invite you to search the scriptures. Search for yourself. Search for yourself. Maybe God will give you something different, but I'm confident when Scripture defines Scripture. Why? Because it's not my definition. It's God's definition. And so we've seen the necessity for the new birth to see and to enter into the kingdom of God. It is necessary to do that. And now the second thing we will see is the nature of the new birth. In verses 6 through 7, first we're going to see that the nature of the new birth is a spiritual birth. Notice, the new birth is a spiritual birth. Verse 6 through 7, notice Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Notice, that which is born of flesh is flesh. Jesus here was saying, without the new birth of the Spirit, all the good works that you do in the flesh is of no value. All the works you do that is in the flesh is of no value. Therefore, what? The flesh, it taints all your righteous works. It taints them without this new birth. It is only the work of a spirit-led person where that, that, that God becomes pleased by. It is only the works of a spirit-led person that brings pleasure to the Lord, that pleases God. It cannot be done in, in, in what do we see the religious leaders, Nicodemus, all the Sanhedrin, they did their works in the flesh. So it tainted all of it. It was of no value. I like the quote that Chuck Smith always says, it is only what you do for Christ that will last. Only what you do for Christ. Why? Because what you do for Christ It's because you love him. It's because you've given your life to him. It's because you've been born again. And religion has it all mixed up. Religious people, they think that we must first give works in order to become a spiritual person. But here, Jesus dismantles that thought process. If you want to, this is why it's an important chapter to show a non-believer, even a believer sometimes, 
Because we get caught up on works. We get caught up on, I need to do this for Christ. I need to do this for Christ. And you begin to strive. Best thing to do is don't strive. Let the Lord just lead you to do what he wants you to do because if you do what you want to do, you're wasting your time. Let him do what he wants you to do. The good works does not bring salvation. We know that. But we also know that salvation will bring good works. That's where a lot of religious people get it confused. You don't need works. It is not of works. It is by grace. It is a free gift of God so that, what? No one should boast. Ephesians. Salvation will then begin to bring good works, which is our fruit. The fruit that comes from being a Christian. The fruit is noticeable by the joy and the blessings that people receive from your life. And this is why Nicodemus here marveled. He marveled at this, at this statement. He said, Jesus says to him, do not marvel that I said to you. I can just imagine him like just blown away. What the? You're telling me that everything I'm doing is in vain? He's marveled. And, and Nicodemus and like most of the Jews at this time, they believed they already had this inner transformation that was promised in the new covenant. They believed they, you know, they already had it. And here Jesus wants him to take hold of, uh, of the fact that he does not have it. He does not have it. He says, Nicodemus, you don't have it. You, you, you need a new birth. You, you need a new creation in you. I appreciate that you know all this stuff, but that's not going to get you into my kingdom. Let's not forget who Jesus is saying this to. You know, Nicodemus was a religious leader, a Pharisee, a well-educated man, a well-respected man. And honestly, by all the outward appearance, it seems that he already received the promise of God. In his, he might have been perfect in his acts, right? In his actions. It may seem that he had received this promise of God's kingdom, yet Jesus is saying he had not. He had not. So second, we're going to see that the new birth is a mysterious birth. Verses 8 through 10. Notice verse 8. It says, The wind blows. Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone who is born of the Spirit. Excuse me. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus' idea here to, to Nicodemus is, is, is you don't understand everything uh, about the wind, but, but what you see its effects, right? You don't, you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where the wind goes, but you're able to see the effects of the wind. You can see it blowing in the trees, and, and this is just how it, it is with the work of the Spirit of God. This is how it is. It's a mysterious birth. So you see, no one can explain the wind. Where it comes from, no one can explain the working of the Spirit. You cannot explain it. And both the Spirit 
And, and the believer can be like the wind. Sometimes people are like, how? This is why our actions are so important. I saw a, a video of um, a murderer on trial on, on one of the, the reels. I don't have social media, but sometimes it just pops up. And I see the, this murderer, he's on trial for killing one of their family members. And every single family member went up to that, that um, whatever you call the stage, the pulpit area, and they all said, I hope you burn in hell. They all said, I hate you deserve every bad thing that's coming to you. They all said that, but one was the grandpa of this young boy who was killed by this murderer, and he came up and he said, I know what you've heard from all everybody else, and I desire to say that to you, but you've tested my faith, so I want to say I forgive you. And you know what? That murderer broke down, and you can see the repentance. Oh, what our works, and, and when you, you, you're truly born again, how it shows, how it shows Christ in our life. How we see what the effects of the Spirit. You don't understand it. I don't understand how he forgave him. I don't understand it. God forbid I'm in that position. God forbid any of you are in that position. But what will you do? Will you show them the effects of the power of the Holy Spirit? Is that what they'll see in you? We don't need to understand it in order to experience it. We don't. Salvation is simple. Being born again is simple. It's simple to accept Christ in your life. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. It doesn't say once you fully understand the things of God and then believe. In it. No, it's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess. Confess means repent. Repent of your sins. Confess them to, to the Lord. Believe in him. Believe that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. It's simple. You just believe and you will experience the transformation power of the new birth in believing. And we will see here in a bit, Jesus says the same thing in th this verse that we we quote all the time, John 3, 16, but what does that verse mean? That who, whoever believes in him will experience this transformation power. Whoever believes in him. Let's continue in verse 9 through 10. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, notice, are you the teacher of Israel? And do not know these things. This stuck with me. Again, Nicodemus was, was a teacher of the law. And so he should have known the truth about the renewing of the work of the Spirit. He should have known Ezekiel 36 through, through 37. It speaks of the dry bones, the renewal, the, the new birth. They, they, they shall rise again. That prophecy passed. We, we're now living in Ezekiel 
38-39. That's the prophecy we are living in today. 36 has been fulfilled. Ezekiel 37 has been fulfilled. And he didn't know. He should have known. So we've seen here the, 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 this incredible nature of this new birth. And Nicodemus lacked it, this, because he was religious in religion. So we've seen first a spiritual birth. It was a spiritual birth. It was a mysterious birth. And here now, third, we see the new birth is a real birth. Verses 11 through 13. You know, just because someone says, you know, something is a mystery. It's a mystery. Just because the Bible speaks of mystery, it does not mean that it's not real. A mystery does not mean it's not real. Here, Jesus assures Nicodemus that the new birth is not a fantasy. It is a reality, this new birth. Verse 11 through 13, notice. Most assuredly, I say to you, he says, you best believe what I'm saying is true. Most assuredly, you better believe what I'm telling you is true. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. We, our Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Father, the triune God, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Notice since Nicodemus he was well-educated on the Old Testament. The illustration Jesus used should have made the point plain and simple to Nicodemus. And so if he could not see that he needed the spiritual transformation, what more could Jesus possibly tell him? What more could I possibly say? How can I possibly prove this to you? I'm simply telling you. I am Christ, and he's going to show this. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, I'm telling you plain and simple, I'm even speaking your language of the Old Testament law. I'm speaking it to you. Have you tried um, speaking to a Jewish person about the New Testament? They know nothing about the New Testament. They won't even look at it. They're all about the Old Testament. That's the language they speak. That's why they, they have rejected the Messiah Jesus. They don't believe in the New Testament. They think there's, the Messiah hasn't come yet. So they're, they're well-versed in, 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 and well-educated in the Old Testament, but they, they lack that spiritual knowledge. They're blind to it. And so here Jesus is saying, I'm speaking your language. I'm trying to make this as real for you as I can. This is not some fantasy, Nicodemus. It is a reality. Well, who are you to tell me these things? Notice Jesus goes on to say in verse 13, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, 
who is in heaven. Who is he speaking of? Himself. Himself. Notice Jesus here makes it very clear to us and Nicodemus that he, Jesus, can speak with authority about the things of heaven. Nicodemus, I've been there. I've come from heaven. I know these things. I have the authority to speak these things. And here Jesus is saying, because he and he alone has ascended and descended. It is only him that has ascended and descended into heaven. Jesus here was giving us more of who he is. And and, and now we can better understand Proverbs 34. Notice 30 verse 4. It says, Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in, in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? If you know. We know here. We know here the Son of Man is his name. Christ, Jesus, is his name. And that speaks so much to me. It speaks so much to me because we can trust every word that Christ says. We can believe him. If we do not believe his word, what left is there to believe? What is truth aside from Christ? When Pontius Pilate asked Jesus that ignorant question, what is truth? What is truth? So many people say everything's truth, coexist. There are many ways into heaven. If everything was true, then none of it would be true. Think about it. There can only be one truth. There can only be one truth. And if Jesus says, I'm the only one that have the authority to speak about heaven and what's to come, only I have the authority to and he speaks with authority. And if he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, do we believe him? What other prophet in the Quran, what other religion speaks of them being the way, the truth, and the life? None. What other religion speaks of, of, of salvation for our sins? Other religions speak of a reward, hey, if you follow the, us, if you, if you bow to Allah and you serve Allah, you will get a reward, not salvation. Christianity, the word of God, is the only religion, I don't want to say religion, but it is, Christianity is the only way. It is, Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. It is the only one that offers salvation for our sins. If you ask people, do you, are you a sinner? I guarantee every single one of them will say yes. Nothing is more real or true than the word of Christ. And if every person would just believe in his word and every person would just receive him, 
they, he, he or she will discover how real and how wonderful this new birth is. So simple. It's so desirable to experience this. At least for me it is, yet many, they reject him. They, they, they reject him for the lies and what the temporary earthly things. They reject them. And so we've seen the necessity for the new birth. We've seen the nature of this new birth. And third, lastly, we see the basis for this new birth. There are two things that are needed. There are two things for this new birth, to experience this new birth. First, the sacrifice. Christ had to die. Notice verse 14. Here Jesus again, he refers to the Old Testament. Again, helping Nicodemus to understand these things. Verse 14 through 15, notice. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Have you read Numbers chapter 21 about this this here? It'll show you the account of this brass serpent that Jesus here is talking about. The account that shows the serpent was biting, the the serpents were, were biting and killing the Israelites due to their rebellion against God. They're complaining, they're murmuring. So God sent serpents that were biting them and killing them, and we see this strange solution. I, at first, when I came across this, I, I thought it was pretty strange. Uh, to, uh, um, the solution for the problem it, that it was found when, when Moses made a serpent of bronze. I was like, what does that mean? Here, Jesus, the prophecy fulfilled. And when the people, you know, they, when they looked at the, the serpent, when they looked at it in faith, what happened? It brought healing to them. When they looked at the serpent, it brought healing. This here was a representation of Christ, who was what? Made sin for us. For it was what? It was sin that was killing the people. You think it was the serpents? No. Sin was killing the people. Second Corinthians chapter 5, it, it, it says, For he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might receive the righteousness of Christ. Christ knew no sin, but he became sin. sin for us, that we might receive his righteousness. And therefore, as we look to Christ by faith, as we look to him, we are saved, what? From the sting of death. Death, where is your sting? Right? We are saved from the sting of death. We are saved from the, the uh, death because of our sinful nature. When we look to Christ, we are saved. When we look to the bronze serpent, 
And, 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 and you know, in the Old Testament, the, the bronze actually symbolized judgment. That the, the metal bronze, it was a symbol of, of judgment. And, and Christ here bore our judgment as he was lifted up on that cross. As the serpent, as Moses lifted up the serpent, the bronze serpent, the people looked for healing. Christ was lifted up on that cross who bore our judgment. And as we look to him, we are healed. We are healed. And in, in this sacrifice, we see the greatest love. The greatest love. Here we see Christ. He demonstrates God's love towards us in that while we were what yet sinners, he died for us. Verse 16 through 17. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3.16 has long, has long been celebrated as this powerful declaration of the gospel, the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel in a nutshell. Out of the whole Bible, this may be the most popular verse that is used in evangelism. For God, notice, for God so loved the world. In this portion of Scripture, for God so loved the world, we learn the uh, object of God's love. Notice, God did not wait for the world to turn to him. He did not wait for the world to love him before he loved the world. It was for God so loved the world. It was not when people began to come to Christ, when people began to love Christ, then he sent no for God loved the world, he loved us, and he gave his only begotten son to the world when what? When it was still the world in its rebellion, in its corruption, he gave his son. <clears throat> and because of this love, Because of this love, I gave him my life. And you here today have given him your life. <clears throat> First John 4.19 We love him because he first loved us. <clears throat> Notice that whoever believes in him, this portion right here describes the recipient of God's love. <coughs> Excuse me. 
The fact is, guys, that God loves the world. But the world, the world will not receive. They will not benefit from the love until they first believe in him. We will not benefit from the love of God until we first believe in him. And this, this it, it dismantles all the false teaching of God's love. All the false teaching of God's love and his forgiveness without the need of repentance. This dismantles that because yes, God loves us. But we cannot benefit from God's love until we believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior. You cannot benefit from it until you believe. <clears throat> and this brings me to the second basis for the new birth. The second thing that is needed for this new birth, the sinner has to believe. The sinner has to believe. Verse 18, notice. Sorry, I'm all choked up. <clears throat> Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Notice here Jesus constantly says the phrase believe in. Believe in. Here Jesus, is, he's not talking about some intellectual awareness or agreement of Christ. He's not talking about I acknowledge that Christ is there. I believe that Christ exists. The demons believe that Christ exists. That's not what he's talking about. To believe in, it means to trust in. It means to fully rely on, to cling to, to cling to Christ. You believe in him. Notice the definition of faith is a strong belief in God. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I got that from Google. That, when you Google the definition of faith, it says a strong belief in God. To believe in, it is only this kind of faith in Christ that will keep us from condemnation. That will keep us from this believing in him. Verse 19 through 20. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. And notice here Jesus explained what keeps people from faith and belief in him. It's because what they are, they are drawn to darkness. They love it more than light. Sinners, they, they not only live in darkness, but they love the darkness. There's going to be those people, Jesus here speaks of those who, who consciously, they, they, they consciously reject him. Hearing the truth, they hear the truth, yet they reject the truth. 
Why? Because they love it. I, I'll tell you, sin is fun. Sin is desirable. You don't have to teach a child to disobey, but you have to teach to obey. Our natural nature will always desire the things of this world. Paul speaks of these people as they have their conscience seared with a hot iron. And therefore, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. He hands them over in Romans. It speaks of that. And so we are never to blame God for anyone's condemnation. Nobody can come to God and say they did not know. No one can come to the responsibility of their salvation is theirs and theirs alone. The responsibility of our salvation is ours and ours alone. God's wrath on unrighteousness will be just. It will be just. Have you read the book of Revelations? What, is it, what do you see in that book? The, the wrath of God, right? You know what I see in that book? It blew me away. If you read it, it shows the wrath of God, but what does it show more of? The grace of God. The grace of God. Giving them chance after chance, preaching the gospel with an angel flying around the world, preaching the gospel. What more do you need to see an angel saying, repent? But what does it say? Yet they did not repent. Why? Because they loved the darkness. They loved the darkness, so there is no excuse. People will be without excuse on the day of judgment, the day of the Lord. And in contrast, verse 21, in closing, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Notice Jesus says, he who does the truth. He doesn't say he who knows the truth. He who does the truth, because there is a difference in doing and knowing. We know that. There is a difference. Many people know the truth, but they are going to reject it. And it is only those who do the truth that have truly come to the saving light of Jesus Christ. Only those who do. To do the truth means to live up to what one knows. To live an honest, conscientious life. And it is only those, the, the one who does the truth that, that proves your new nature. When you do the truth, it proves that you are born again. That's why you must do the truth. And this is why we preach the truth. We cannot compromise with the truth of God. You, you cannot water down this truth that has been given to us today. Don't water it down, the truth of what it means to be born again, the truth of what it means to be a true born again Christian. Hold your ground, guys. Call sin, sin, for what it is. Sin without, call it sin without compromise. The Word of God, guys, it has to be elevated above all other opinions, and we, we need to stay focused on this message of Christ. This is why 
I, I chose the book of John because I want to teach the deity of Christ. And we as the church, we need to come back to the simplicity of preaching Christ. The simplicity. We as a church, you know, we need to come back to, to the, 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 the simplicity of declaring the gospel. It is simple. Because without Christ's sacrifice, without his resurrection, without his, 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 his truth in our lives, there is no new birth. And we are still in our old nature without it. There's so many people today like Nicodemus because why? The truth has been hindered. Christ gave us the truth. We must not hinder that truth. We need to give that truth. People who think they have a place in the kingdom of God but have never really experienced this new birth. So the message is simple here today. It's simple. Repent. If you have that new birth here today, praise God. If you have not experienced the new birth, repent and believe. To repent means to do a 180. Stop going in the direction that you are going in. There has to be a change of your old ways, and there has to be a stand that, ma- that is made. Live your life in a way that, that proves repentance, that, that, that you show proof that you have repented and you seek God's purpose for your life. Make that stand today, and this will be proof of your new birth by the change that is seen in your life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much for the power of your word, Lord, in our lives. Lord, for your, the, the transformation, the transforming power of your spirit, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for what you did so that we can have this new birth, so that we can experience your kingdom, Lord. You chose not to live in eternity without us. Lord, we are so grateful. Lord, whatever seed, whatever, Lord, whatever you've ministered into each one of us individually, Lord, may that stick. Lord, may we apply this to our lives, Lord. Lord, may you go before us and may you just continue, Lord, to give us the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to prove this new birth, to experience this new birth in our lives. Lord, I thank you so much for this new birth. I thank you for getting rid of our old nature and bestowing upon us a new nature that only you as God can do. How wonderful you are, Lord. How indescribable you are. May we go home, Lord, and just meditate on your word. May it be imprinted in our hearts. And I can't wait, Lord. We cannot wait to see you one day. We love you. We honor you. And we ask that you just go before us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.